0: Gang, been a while since I posted up either a Tipcast or a full length podcast. And to be honest, I've got no excuses. Just been super busy with new job, new house, uh, you know, travel. Uh, if, if you can tell by the sound quality, I've also got a new computer and my microphone does not work with the computer. So, sound quality is not quite there either. But uh, I did want to take the time to get out a podcast. Uh, and just kind of let you guys know what's going on and, and, you know, like I said, I've been super busy, but I've also really been trying to rethink how I want to do the podcast. Uh, it's been tough to do the development that I want, especially with limited resources, but uh, got some great ideas, uh, not just for podcasting, but also for coaching. And thinking about how I'm going to move forward. And so I'm going to be talking about those in the coming months. And if I'm really lucky, I might be able to get out of TipCast before the end of September too. But we will be having some more TipCasts. But I thought it would actually be cool to go back into the archives and repost some of my favorite podcasts. The ones that I thought I, I both learned a lot from and really tackled issues that were a little bit unique. So with that, I'm going to be kicking... That, that, that kind of delve into the archives uh, and revisit an interview I did with Sean Halls uh, who was formerly the head of Navy SEAL training down at Camp Little Creek and I uh, give you a little bit of background, Sean kind of fell into that job and that role and it did not go unnoticed because uh, probably about maybe six, six months after I actually paid a visit to him down at the training facility got picked up by the Philadelphia Eagles as their director of sports science. And a little funny side story to that, uh, the day that it was announced, people just scrambled to try to find out who this guy was. And, uh, you, you know, they search his name, and lo and behold, number two on the Google search is my podcast. So to date, those are still the largest monthly numbers as well as single-day numbers I've gotten for downloads. And I think I hit something like, 2000 or 2,500 downloads in a single day. So that was pretty cool. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I'm going to be diving back in. And, and in this interview, I talked to Sean about his role with the Navy SEALs and, and, and really talk about the differences and maybe the similarities between training athletes and training kind of the, the, the tactical or military side of the athletic performance scale. Uh, So I really found it was a cool interview, so I hope you enjoy it. And remember, you can still support the podcast. Definitely needs support. Head on over to www.espanswers.com. That's espanswers.com. Click the Donate button. You can donate there. You can also uh, write us a review on iTunes, and that would be great. Or you can just drop me a line at esppodcast at gmail.com. So until our next podcast,
1: gather strong enough to try.
0: Welcome back to the CESB Podcast. On today's show, we are going to be shifting focus and uh, moving into a topic I think a lot of people are interested to know about, especially uh, a lot of the shows on Discovery Channel and History Channel deal a lot with the military. uh, But there's not a lot written out there on the actual training that a lot of these guys in the military go through. Well, I was fortunate enough last year to actually uh, meet somebody down at conference and get a chance to uh, talk with him about some of the training that the Navy SEALs do and see a couple presentations. So Sean Halls is the head strength and conditioning coach for the Special Warfare Group 2 where he coordinates the strength and conditioning and injury prevention programs for the SEAL teams at the Joint Expeditionary Base Little Creek in Norfolk, Virginia. Prior to that, Sean has served uh, both as a director of athletic performance at Hampton University. Uh, he, he's also served as uh, the head strength and conditioning coach for baseball at uh, the University of Nevada and at the University of Nebraska. And he's worked with a number of professional Football and baseball players, uh, and he continues his work with both the military and elite athletes, and even extends into some of uh, the mixed martial art and uh, track and field as well as swimming. Please welcome to the podcast, Sean Halls. Oh,
1: thanks, thanks for uh, having me on today.
0: So. No problem. Obviously, I've been excited to get you on the show, and um, I'm, I'm I'm trying to play catch up right now. I've Not done uh, a lot of shows this summer just because of uh, my own research schedule. But um, I'm, I'm always excited to kind of branch out, and I'm definitely trying to branch out on some of the topics that we cover. And one thing that comes up is really the comparison between training for athletic endeavors like football and baseball and running uh, with that in the military. And I, I thought it was really cool to be able to see your presentation last year at the regional conference for uh uh, the National Strength and Conditioning Association, but to also get a chance to talk with you about some of the stuff that you do and, and how you uh, really implement more of a scientific approach to training w- with the military. Um, can you just kind of go into a little bit about what are some of the differences or challenges that you deal with uh, when you're dealing with the SEALs versus what you dealt with, say, in uh, college football or even baseball?
1: Well, I think with, uh, and, and sport, you know, uh, one, you have a lot of knowns. You have, you, you know, when the season starts, you know, when the season ends, you know, uh, you know, specifically if you're talking, uh, football or, or baseball or any sport now, they're pretty well researched in terms of, uh, work to rest ratios, duration of play, um, intensity of play, number of games a year, number of, uh, you, you know football number of plays per game you know all those you know baseball you have pitch counts and all those things uh, in the military there's there's none of that uh, specifically in and uh, and the special operator uh, you know these guys can be deployed at any given time and and they're you know when they're out on an op there is no time limit there is uh, uh, you it's, it's an unknowing environment in terms of duration and and intensity and and environment in itself. You know, in, in sport, uh, when I was at Nebraska and we were going to go play Texas, we knew it was going to be hot. You know, but uh, 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 in some of the environments the guys are operating now, it's it's, uh, it's different. You know, it's it, to the extreme of both ends. You know, some days it's it's hot, and then the next day you're at altitude and it's very cold. You know, so. Um, that's probably uh you know that's a that's uh one of the biggest differences in terms of uh how to train the guys properly and 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 uh yet be somewhat specific to uh whatever it is they need to do
0: well then i i think specifically then uh from a training standpoint how how do you cope with that i mean how do these guys prepare to to not only be able to say do a – you know, 10- or 15-mile march, um, you know, climb a mountain, swim in full gear, uh, and then, you know, shoot and maybe have to fight somebody hand-to-hand? How do they combine all that?
1: Well, first, you know, we we really just train for athleticism, you know, uh, and, and a lot of sports now, unfortunately, a lot of sports have gone into um, being so sport-specific that they actually train the kids out of out of uh, actually being able to play the sport, and that's very evident in, you know, USA Hockey and things like that, where uh, those, you know, USA Hockey really reached out to to kids at a young age and really tried to make their, their training specific for hockey, and uh, this is the least amount of Americans that are in the NHL today, you know, so... Yeah. Uh, hopefully we we can get back to that in sport where we're just training uh, specifically just for athleticism. If I can get guys to be more powerful, if I can get guys to have more endurance, if I can get guys to be stronger and more resilient to injury, then I'm giving the, uh, you know, in sport I would give the coach a better product, and in the military I'm giving uh, the platoons and I'm giving the teams a better product. So overall we really just – we look at more of the physiology, um, of, of what it takes to do the job and, 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 in our, I guess our terms, we we say biological power and that's basically the ability of the human organism to compensate and adapt to prolonged stress of any type with minimal decline. So, um, it doesn't matter what the job is, the guys need to be able to do it with minimal decline. So that's, you know, essentially, uh, it's a juggling act, so I'm not saying we're great at anything, but we're pretty good at a bunch of things.
0: Yeah, that's a good point, and I, I've I've really seen the genesis of that um, th- that idea of that specificity, and it's too bad because when I was coming up in the sport of cycling, that was the biggest thing: is you got to be specific to your sport, and if if, if you want to get better. But I think we, we we definitely have taken it too far, um, but I think even more than that, we've taken it too too young of an age and so I mean it, getting getting back to those core fitness values for a lack of a better term I I, th- I think is a really great point and I, I think that's one of the things that that that, that maybe a lot of people forget about Guys in the military, even the specialists is in their physical fitness has a, a direct impact on the outcome of say you know shooting or disarming a bomb. How do you go about setting up a training program for these guys and 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 how scientific is it i mean what 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 exactly are you doing how how does that compare to say, a guy that's a you know maybe an elite runner or elite whatever how How does it compare to how you're setting up the training program
1: well first and foremost uh, before you know, we started really doing any programming, we, we really wanted to do those assessments to see exactly what are the demands of the job. And uh, so basically going through all the different training uh, blocks and things like that and and assessing a very similar way that we do in sport in terms of work-to-rest ratios and duration and, and things like that and and what are the primary movement patterns you see and, and what are, you know, what are the, the injury profiles we see on a regular basis. And and essentially that's really how the, our program uh, got started was a lot of the individuals were uh, getting injured. A majority of the individuals were getting injured during uh, physical training type evolutions rather than actual uh, combat specific evolution. So, um the military wanted a more systematic and uh, a smarter way to train. And so we brought that sports uh, uh, that sports evaluation more of a demand analysis and not necessarily a specific sports skill analysis. And uh, so that's, that's the first thing we looked at, and we looked at, you know, what are the primary energy systems being used and, and things like that. And uh, um, so it, it was, we set up the programs very similar to if I was training a baseball team, how I'd set up that program based on the, the demands of the sport or a football team. You know, I'm not going to train an offensive lineman necessarily the same as what I would a, a defensive back. Not sports-specific-wise, just physiologically it's different. You know, If you look at an offensive lineman, offense and defensive lineman, their intensity for that four to five seconds per play is – at a max, every play they're pushing that car out of the snow every play, you know. Right. But uh, a defensive back, it's it's much different. They're they're jogging at times and sprinting at times, accelerating, decelerating. So, um, so not from a sport specificity standpoint, but more from a physiologically standpoint. From a physiological standpoint, those are two different athletes in my mind, even though they play the same sport. So. Um, that's, you know, that's basically how we approach the program when we first started setting it up.
0: Cool. Well, it, you know, along those lines, how would you say periodize if these guys are, you know, basically they got to go at a moment's notice?
1: Well, we, we use pretty much a nonlinear uh, approach or, uh, where uh, we break it out and where we have specific days of, of lifting um, throughout the week in specific days of energy system development. But within each one of those days, um, we have specific goals. So some of the days are just what we call, you know, the uh, dynamic, a dynamic effort where we're working tempos or we're working uh, um, speed and accelerations and things like that. Some of the days uh, we, we do max out type things. Uh, you know, uh, strength is a component of of power so if we're looking for to develop some power we need some strength and so we have some some max effort type days built into the program and then um, and then we have what we call repeater endurance days where uh, repeat effort days where it's it's you know uh, more long duration type things and uh, Basically, how we set it up is is we have a couple of weeks where we're more strength strength focused with a maintenance of energy system development, and then uh, the the next couple of weeks we do more of an energy system development phase with a maintenance of strength, and and we feel that um, that way we're we're uh, you know you you can't do both at the same time. If you chase two rabbits, you're not going to catch anything, you know. Right. So. Um, so we really essentially go after one and try and, and decrease the volume on the other and go into more of a maintenance phase and then uh, increase the uh, volume on the other and then decrease uh, the, the volume on the mm-hmm. other. So, so we just kind of basically flip back and forth. And uh, uh, unless we know a specific area or a specific type of uh, um, Uh, deployment uh, a guy is going to do what they have to get ready for then then it will be more specific to that but just as a general fitness type program that's pretty much what we follow
0: how do you track these guys over time what types of assessments are, are are you doing to make sure that um a they're meeting their fitness goals um and b they're they're really reducing their risk for injuries and and other problems long term
1: we're pretty fortunate. We have we have a lab actually right in our facility. So we do some of your basic uh physiological indicator assessments, uh, VO two maxes with lactic thresholds, uh we have a wind gate power test in there. We we, we do some other uh, uh muscle symmetry testing and some movement analysis. So we have force plates and all those things. Uh we also have an omega wave, so we're 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 doing some testing with, with that as well. So um, we're, we're doing some physiological testing in there in, in the lab and as well as we have uh, just basic athletic performance tests as well you know deadlifts and, and and 300 yard shuttles and uh, um, uh, vertical jump and horizontal jump tests and and you know just basic athletic type uh, tests as well just to see uh, uh, where the guys are lacking the most. Uh, and what areas they need to improve on, and then, and then based on that, those assessments and based on their indicators that we get in the lab, then we start to develop the program from there, uh, the individual guys, for the individual
0: guys. So. What does the typical SEAL look like training-wise on a, on a weekly basis? Or, and I guess along those lines, what do they look like from a physiology standpoint?
1: Uh, physiologically our guys are are all over the map you have you have some guys that are uh um, you know and have historically been endurance type athletes you have some guys that have played power sports at elite levels and in colleges and things like that and so you have some bigger guys we actually have a couple of guys that played offensive line and division one institutions you know so um and then you have uh, which kind of surprised me when I first started out. We have some guys that were never involved in any sports, you know. So it was, it was really surprising to me as competitive as the guys are. And, and the guys are, most of the guys are really athletic. So it, that kind of always threw me for a loop to see some of these guys that had never played any t- type of team sport. But, uh, um, so physiologically, guys are, 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 from, one end of the spectrum to the other, so you can't really pinpoint exact uh, body compositions. But um, for a given week, um, that just it kind of depends uh, where we are in our cycles, where they are in their training cycles, in terms of how how many days a week uh, we're training. If a guy is um, uh, at home for an extended period of time, a lot of times we'll train you know up to 6 days a week and within that 6 days we usually uh like i said we're going to have some dynamic effort days in uh a little really working power and, and things like that and you would see a workout similar to what you would see at a at a collegiate athletic program guys come in they do a dynamic warm up they break off into the weight room. We have Olympic platforms in there, and you'll see power cleans and snatches and plyometrics metrics getting done on a dynamic effort day or a speed squat or something like that. And then uh, if we have you the know, same thing, if it's a max effort strength type day, it would be a similar thing, more strength-oriented orient- lifts with uh, with higher percentages, higher loads. Um, uh, we'll go out. If it's an energy system development day, we, we might be out on the track or we might, we may be over in the sand dunes or whatever. So, um, we tend to use our, uh, our facilities and our environment pretty well or, you know, uh, but yet we still keep a lot of, uh, we try and keep a lot of traditional type seal, um, things involved as well. Run, run swims and run swim runs and we have optical courses and stuff like that. We still do, um, uh, about once a week, so uh, some of those more operational specific type uh, uh, type workouts in as well, so um, the workouts essentially vary a lot. The guys like to have a variety, and we try and provide that for them because, like I said, you just you, you don't really know exactly what they're what they're going to be faced with on any given day or any given moment when they're out in the field. so Cool hopefully that answers your question. I don't, I don't know if that's...
0: Yeah, it's great. I'm really trying to get a good perspective of, you know, the differences in performance. And I was I was actually talking with a colleague today uh, about this discussion that, that, that I was going to have. And, and uh, you know, for me, I deal with people that take athletics very seriously. But, the fact is is that um, there's a difference between being very serious about your sport and training very hard for it and then being an athlete where your life is on the line. And, and, it, it's, it, and it's not even your life. I mean, it's, it's one thing to be in a football game and have a group of teammates, you know, and you mess up and you lose the game. Um, in the military, you, you know, losing the game is usually losing your life and, and maybe, you know, a bunch of other people. Alongside you, that that are your teammates, um, your friends, and and it's uh, it 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 really puts training in perspective. And I guess from from my standpoint, training, uh, it, it, you know, I mean, it's 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 really where I've I, I've set my career path in. But to be able to work with people that, in my case, I work with people with disabilities that oftentimes were military, but. To training people who you know are in life and death situations it's, it, it really kind of brings the whole perspective back to what sport kind of was you know sport developed out of either a lull in the military campaigns or it was a way to you know maybe prevent a war and so um, it's, it, it's just critically important that you develop programs that are going to maximize these guys performance and, and I think what you do is pretty cool to, to, to be able to really hone in on the physiology and, and create the best athlete in a military model yeah,
1: yeah that's I think one of the biggest things that uh, uh, you know the difference between training military in our group specifically training military versus you know regular athletes is you know and athletics, it tends to be whatever you're good at. That's the sport you're gonna you're gonna you know gravitate towards. You know, so your your basic selection of the athletes that get to a Division one college is based on how good they are at that sport and their athleticism and things like that. Um, but the selection to be a SEAL is much different. It's more based on your mental and physical capacity to handle stress and when they go through selection and if you've seen buds or whatever, um, a lot of those bonds and that brotherhood is built there. And so, you know, when, when they come to us, it's, uh, you already know the guys are tough. You know, you don't get through buds if you're not tough, you know, we maintain, um, uh, some of that, I guess, uh, camaraderie and brotherhood in the workouts because they're not easy. But, uh, you don't necessarily have to find who the tough guys are because it's already been done for you. So I think that's one of the other big things that you, you see uh, in college athletics and, you know, specifically coming from a football background. Uh, coaches always want to find who the tough guys are and, and things like that. And uh, um, in my mind, we're, we've are we already done that. Our guys have been selected on who's tough and who isn't, you know. So, um so now it's it's more about training and training smart, um, and, and extending their longevity while, they, while they're here. And, and uh, so that's to me that's pretty cool because all those things are already sorted out for you when you get started, and you really can just focus on training. So,
0: how do you think uh, the Navy SEAL mentality and the training motivation uh, differs? From say say the athletic environment that you've worked in, whether it be college football, baseball, swimming, you, you know, maybe even more so uh, some of the fighters that you've worked with.
1: Well, I, uh, I think one thing with with the with the SEAL guys, you know, it's 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 that unknowing. Um, they they like to push themselves uh, usually beyond their limits, you know. So a lot of times it's it's uh um it's more us trying to hold them back and not overtrain or overreach on a regular basis so you know a lot of times it's very similar to what you see in swimming programs and and very similar to wrestlers and very similar to water polo players and those guys and and really and recruiting those guys have a high percentage of making it through buds they're used to doing very high volumes, high intensities um, over and over and over again and 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 not saying other sports are exempt from from making it through buds, but uh, those are definitely three sports that kind of have that persona, and those and those type of guys gravitate towards you know the type of guys we see so.
0: interesting from a sport performance standpoint what What do you think really carries over we often talk about uh you know the reverse carryover we apply athletic performance back to the general public. What do you think athletes can learn from the training that say a Navy seal does or really any high level military person what 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 can we learn from that
1: I think you know uh, uh sometimes I think coaches get a, get carried away with it where they actually uh um, they they overtrain their guys trying to get that that seal type mentality. Um, in my opinion, a lot of that's recruited. Either the guy can, either the guy is is that guy or he's not. You know. So, um, but I, at the same time, uh, in training, one of the things the seal the, the teams do, and it's continued, you know, throughout their their uh, career is you're only as strong as your weakest guy. When guys are out on patrol, they can only move as fast as the slowest guy. And, you know, no guys, you know, no one's left behind. And, uh, you know, that's, uh, I, I think that, you know, a lot of that's done at Bud's. They know, you know, who can make it and who can't. But uh, I think that says a lot in sport. Not necessarily, and necessarily always in the in the training just making sure that everyone is accountable to the training, no matter if they're a starter or they're a fourth teamer, and and that was, that was the one thing that I always was I, I I didn't like about college athletics and professional athletics is sometimes it depended on how much you were paid or or. Um, if you were a Heisman trophy candidate, how much work you got you you had to do you know right, so, right. Uh, and and these groups it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who you are you got you got to get it done because no one wants to be that guy to get you know get their team compromised so
0: Cool, great points. Shift in focus a little bit because i I'm kind of thinking back to the presentation that you, you, you gave the first presentation that I saw. And, uh, you know, to shift focus from the military training, what, one of the things that I found really interesting is you, you presented um, some information about the effects of drinking on um, brain development, as well as th- those effects on, on just athletic performance. Can you talk a little bit about some of that? Because a lot of the, the, uh, uh, the riders, particularly the cyclists that I deal with, more than anything, these are kids that are, you know, from 17 to 23. And we all know that that, that drinking in college is endemic. And I, I really try to hammer home what effect that that drinking has on their performance. Can you talk a little bit about what you know?
1: Yeah. Um, a few years ago, uh, uh, I met a, an individual named John Underwood. He's up in uh, Lake Placid, New York. And and John goes all over the nation presenting this. He was, he was, uh, uh, he actually ran the Olympic, uh, uh, sports science up at, uh, the Lake Placid Training Center up there. And John studied over in Finland and I think he, he began some of these studies when he was back in Finland and, and a lot of that and, and kind of piggybacked on some of their research that they had already done. But, uh, uh, you know, one of the biggest groups of, of binge drinkers is, is military folks from 18 to 24, and probably the second biggest group are, are most likely to, to do those things are, are college kids. And and I, I just think that, uh, you know, coming from that background and, and where I'm at now, if, if people just paid, if athletes paid half as much attention to nutrition, sleep, and just lifestyle in general, um as they do to training and practice, their, their gains would be, you know, exponentially better, you know? So, but, uh, all the studies that, that John found, you know, guys, um, up to one to two drinks essentially has little physiological effect, um, and, and performance, but once going over three and four drinks, uh, it affects everything, and uh, uh, he has tons of research backing that up. Like you said, and and, and brain development, and coordination, and um, even you know going to bed drunk, and how you uh, you you your loss of REM sleep, and then you don't have hormones reboot, and you don't have central nervous system reboot, and all those things that those uh, cognitive skills go downhill and one of the biggest studies i think that that he posts regularly is 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 they took some guys and had them some some elite uh olympic athletes uh in an off season when they hadn't trained they had them start training and check just blood basic blood chem levels and things like that and all of those came up to um their training uh 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 results within within 2 weeks they they were very fast responders but once they started drinking they had them get drunk and uh it basically took them 96 hours just to get back to normal wow. those blood levels and then uh for them to re-elevate back to competition level it took up to 2 weeks so essentially they lost 2 weeks of of training so um you know, if that, if that doesn't make athletes think, you know, uh, I'm really messing up all this hard training that I've been doing with this one night. So it's, uh, uh, in my opinion, I think that's one of the biggest limiters in a lot of athletes' careers, just their lifestyle, diet, and uh, and what they put in their body on the weekends, you know.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. But till I saw some of that data, I I, I never really gave it, a lot of hard thought and I met a lot of guys that would they they they'd pull out some amazing race performances either hungover or you know ha- having been out all night drinking and you you know you talk with them and they're like yeah but you know I I went out there and I still rode well and it's like yeah but you, you didn't win <laughs> and it's it's You you know, And it's not about just winning, but when when you try to make an argument to somebody that, yeah, I I rode well and I was hungover, but it's like, yeah, but you didn't win. And it's like, that's really what counts. And if you're telling me that you perform better hungover, then you know what? You better show up to every single event hungover and then compile all that data for me and show me how you perform over the course of a season. Because I guarantee you're not going to have the same level of performance every time. And it's, it's, it's hard to, to get a college kid to, you know, to understand that. But I do see a lot of college kids with a lot of talent and it seems like they make it through college and you, you know, maybe they get on a team or, you know, whatever else, but eventually it catches up with them. And
1: I mean, that's the thing that we see not only in just, and you know, people sometimes win in spite of what they do and that's. Not even, you know, even the uh, uh, training programs as well. You know, I'm sure you've seen guys that, and I have hard data to prove that guys were physiologically compromised, but still able to win races and actually set world records with, you know, being in a uh, overreach state, you know, so uh, sometimes, uh, you know, winning those races just feeds into that poor behavior, you know, so... It's like you said. It's just just think of what you could have done if you if you you know hadn't done you know drank those extra five beers or whatever you know. Yeah. So uh, so that's a, if they want to be satisfied with maybe being a, a an okay version of themselves, I guess it's on them. But uh, uh, that's the thing that uh, that you know we always talk about with the guys is specifically in in, in drinking and a little bit over training. You know. Right now you're performing at a high level, but just think if you're actually recovered, what you could do, you know, so.
0: Yeah, great point. Great point. And, and I, I think that's, that's always the hardest part And I, for a lot of athletes to, you know, to, to bridge that gap is to kind of give up that lifestyle. But really interesting data. And whenever I talk to young, uh, to young people now, it's, it, it, it's always a preface, you know. It's like I understand. You know, it's like, I'm not, I'm not so old that I don't remember what it was like, but I say, you know, you need to be different. If you, if this is your goal, then you need to be different. If you want to fall into that trap, then, then maybe you're not going to succeed, but it's just a decision that, that they need to make. But I tell you, when I saw some of those images, uh, particularly with brain development, it still scares me. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. And
1: if you just look at, you know, I, we Talk all the time with the guys about hormone levels and things like that, and you know it is when you're young you can get away with doing a lot of stuff that's probably not the best thing. But uh, exactly. if you're looking at longevity, like you said after college, um, uh, you know when you when you uh, when you drink heavily on a regular basis, it destroys all your anabolic hormones just as if you were out overtraining every day. You know, so um, those those guys can get away competing at a high level uh, when they're young. But uh, longevity will, will not be in their favor, and uh, we have the data to prove that, too. So,
0: Cool. Getting back to uh, some of the work that you're doing, what's on the horizon? I mean, what, what do you see specifically for you in the next maybe year or so training-wise? Any, you know, any research you guys are doing or anything else?
1: I think uh, probably our biggest focus is now is is really uh, looking at some of these physiological indicators and uh, how that impacts performance and and not only impacts performance but how these these impact day to day training processes and um, compensation to training and and really that's what we're We're almost taking the going more towards auto-regulation periodization where there's various tests on systems and based on the results, the activities resemble what your body's best able to handle that day rather than walking in looking at a piece of paper when you feel terrible. But it says you're supposed to max out that day, so you go do it, you know. So, right. more um, getting some, uh, we're looking more into getting some hard data on real-time physiological um, um, conditions and training to what's best able to compensate to the stimulus that day.
0: Cool, cool. Well, you'll definitely have to keep me apprised on um, you know any of the research you're doing. One of the things that I'm trying to do is is. Again, try to apply what, what I know sports performance wise, specific to the population that, that we work with, which is uh, spinal cord injured persons. And uh, it, it just amazes me that, that how, how poor the prescription recommendations are. You know, and, and you, you talk about special populations and you talk about prescribing activity to them. And then I look at these actual prescription recommendations and, and there's nothing special about it. It's anything but special. And my interest is sports performance, but I've kind of rethought, you know, how can I apply what I know to any other population? And and yeah. and I, I think we've reached the point. And the training knowledge and the research that we can actually start to take elite athletic prescription and back apply it to the general population. And I think that's really what, what we always need to do is to really have that bridge back and forth um, to learn from both ends. So yeah. so definitely, uh, you know, definitely keep me apprised. And, uh, you know, certainly if I get the chance, I'd love to come down and uh, check out the lab and see what you guys do.
1: Yep, You're always welcome. You're always welcome.
0: All right, well, I appreciate you uh, coming on, and, and certainly down the line, you, maybe we can get you back and uh, yeah, have another discussion. So,
1: um, I'm good. Well, I, I appreciate you uh, inviting me on, and I'll tell you, I've been hooked on these things. The last uh, probably year I've been uh, listening to all these, so you do, you do a great job, and, and uh, I appreciate it as well. So
0: Great, great. Well, I appreciate you coming on again.